extension of your family. I hope to get a chance to shake your hand at the end of the service this morning. The Bible says that uh, Paul, as he was awaiting his execution, he's writing to a young man that he was mentoring in the faith. His name was Timothy. Timothy got saved under his ministry. Timothy got mentored by Paul. And Timothy had now become the successor to the church at Ephesus. And of all the things Paul wanted to bear his heart to Timothy on, one of the things he told him was, do the work of an evangelist. And uh, I think in our day and age, we probably don't have as much of an appreciation, or even maybe for many who are just new to the church, just a cognizance of what the evangelist is. But we thank the Lord that the evangelist is one of God's gifts to the local church. His gift is in preaching. His gift is in clearly articulating the word of God so that we can understand it, being helped to the ministry of the pastor and the church. And look, God uses evangelists to see people saved. We have the example of that of Philip, the evangelist there in Acts chapter 8, and just how God used him wonderfully there. And this morning, we're thankful for an evangelist who has stayed by the stuff. He's been faithful to God's word, faithful to God himself, who's been greatly used of God literally around the world. And that's Dr. John Getch. I'm thankful for Dr. Getch. He's a friend. He is a, someone we look up to as a, an example of Christ-likeness and living for the Lord. He's been the executive vice president now for West Coast Baptist College for over 20 years. And when I'm down at the college preaching for chapel, we'll get around him. He has such a passion for seeing the next generation trained up and raised up. He's held in high, high respect by all the student bodies, as well as the faculty administration, as someone who lives out exactly what he believes and preaches. If you heard him this morning in the Dope Bible Hour, you know that he's a man who has taken, just taken God's word and has tried to just be faithful to God's word in the delivery of it. And I believe this morning, I've told our staff and our deacons this, I believe that there's a message God laid on his heart even before he got here today that we need to hear that will help our church. Brother Getch, we love you. Looking forward to you preaching the word of God. Would you give him a hearty amen as he comes right now? Amen. Thank you, Pastor. It's always a joy to be here at Heritage Baptist Church and uh, not only to see what God is doing, but be reminded of what he has done and uh, looking forward to the future as well. And uh, what a joy to be in your, your presence today and uh, be able to preach in these services this morning and again tonight. If you will, take your Bible and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll stand and we'll read just one verse in uh, the end of this chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll draw our message from this one simple verse, verse number 34. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You may be seated. Probably the hardest thing you do every day is wake up. I mean, for some of you, it's a real struggle. Some of you were at church before you woke up this morning. It's not easy to wake up. I teach a class at the college called The Art of Storytelling. And in that class, we, we do an assignment, and I, I give the students a simple phrase. And each one gets a different phrase, and I, I make them develop a story around that phrase. It's a small little phrase, and they have to develop a 10-minute story around this phrase. A few years ago, I was distributing the, the phrases, and I gave this phrase to a young man. The phrase was... I took a nap. 
I took a nap. He had to build a 10-minute story around that phrase. I took a nap. He came in. I don't think I'll ever forget the story. I'll abbreviate it just a tad for you. But he told how he was working a job that required him to work through the night uh, there at college. And during the Christmas break, he was going to, to stay through the break because they were going to give him additional hours. He worked at a distribution warehouse. And of course, they were running a lot of packages, a lot of uh, material through that distribution center. And so those guys were going to get to work like 16-hour shifts. They were going to work a double shift. And he normally worked, you know, from, from about 6 o'clock to about 2 o'clock in the morning. But now he was going to be able to work all night. And so he, he, he worked. It was, a, it, was a, it was a Thursday. He worked all day. He worked pretty much all the night. He got back to campus about 8 o'clock on Friday morning. And now he was off for the entire weekend. He was really excited about that. He'd been working this monstrous schedule for a number of days, and he was going to get some time to just be able to sleep. And so he came home Friday morning about 8 o'clock and had worked all night the previous day, extremely tired. He was hungry, but he was more tired than he was hungry. So he thought, I'll, I'll lay down and, and I'll, I'll, I'll rest and... Uh, I'll get up for, for dinner tonight. I'll get a good meal tonight, and uh, then I'll stay up for a while and, and then get some more rest tonight. So he, he laid down on his bed, and he slept. And he slept very well. And when he woke up, he was, uh, he was hungry, and he looked at the clock. It was about 10 minutes to 5. And he thought, oh, man, dinner's at 5.30. i got to hurry. So he jumped out of bed, he slept well, he, he, he went into the shower, took a quick shower, got dressed, and he, he ran over to the, to the dining hall. And he came to the dining hall about 525 and, and, and came in there expecting, of course, to eat, and there was no one there. And he thought, you know, what's going on? I mean, during the break, there are less students there than during the school year, but, but still, there were other kids working and, and staying on campus, and so he, he thought it strange. But, of course, at college, people play practical jokes, and he thought they're hiding or something, you know, or whatever. But he's walking through, and he's seen no one. Now he's starting to think that maybe there had been a partial rapture or something, you know. <laughs> And he got to the kitchen area and noticed a couple of people working in the very back of the kitchen. They were the only ones there. And he, he thought, man, what is going on? I mean, dinner's at 5.30. Where is everybody? And so he yelled at those people in the back of the kitchen, hey, what's going on? They said, what are you talking about? He said, well, dinner. Dinner's at 5.30. They said, no, no, dinner's not at 5.30. It's at 6. He goes, no, no, dinner's at 5.30. It's Friday. I mean, dinner's always at 5.30 on Friday. They said, it's not Friday. It's Saturday. He had slept from 8.30 on Friday to 5 o'clock on Saturday. I took a nap. That is a nap. I wonder, are we asleep spiritually this morning? I mean, we think that is really bizarre. That is almost hard to believe that someone could sleep that long. But some of us spiritually have been asleep for months. 
Paul said that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. The writer of Solomon, he said, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy wants as an armed man. Listen, folks, we are children of the light and children of the day. Paul said, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. I believe here in verse number 34, God is sounding some alarms. And it's easy when we hear the alarm of God to just kind of reach over and hit the snooze button. Say, yeah, I, I know what you're saying, Lord. I, I know what needs to be done, but I'll, I'll get to that later. I'll get to that after Christmas. I'll make that one of my New Year's resolutions. I promise. But God says, no, 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 no. Wake up. Wake up. And I see here four alarms that are going off in this verse. First, I see the alarm of righteousness. Awake to righteousness. Did you know that righteousness exalteth a nation? Sin is a reproach to any people, but righteousness is what makes our nation great. Righteousness is what makes a city great. Righteousness is what makes a church great. Righteousness is what makes a family great. Listen, are we awake to righteousness? Sometimes I wonder if we even know what sin is anymore. We have the idea today in our culture that it's only wrong if you get caught. Now, as long as you don't get caught, it's not really wrong. It's like if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, did it make a noise? And we think, well, if no one saw me sin or no one found out about my wrong, it's not really wrong. And we have this culture being fed us today that, that it's okay to do wrong as long as we don't get caught. It's the whole philosophy behind don't drink and drive. The world today preaches and advertises don't drink and drive. Get a designated driver. God says don't drink. See, the world says, go ahead and do wrong. Just, just be careful. Don't get caught. Don't get in trouble. Don't, don't penalize yourself. Don't, don't ruin your life. God says, don't drink. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. That's a polite way for God to say, John, guess you ever take one drink, you're a fool. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contention? Who hath babbling? Who hath, who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at wine, they that seek after mixed wine, look not thou upon the cup when it's red, when it moveth itself aright, when it giveth its color in the cup, for at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. 
Thine eyes shall behold strange women. Thine heart shall utter perverse things. Thou shalt be as he that lieth in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of the mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When I awake, I'll seek it yet again. You say, I can control how I drink. God said, you can't. You'll seek it yet again and again and again and again. The world says, hey, go ahead and sin. Just don't get caught. It's the whole philosophy behind safe sex. We are spending billions of dollars trying to educate young people about safe sex. What we're saying is go ahead and sin. Just don't get caught. God says no sex outside of marriage. Did you know God created sex? God created us male and female. God gave us our sexual desires and passions. In fact, the first command he ever gave man was to have sex. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's impossible without sex. So God's the inventor of this thing, but he placed it inside the boundary of marriage. If you look at this floor, there are some boundary lines painted on the floor so that when we clear these chairs and bring down these hoops, we can play some basketball. And everything within those boundary lines is legal within that game. But if you just put your foot a little bit on a line, you're out of bounds. And God says marriage is honorable in all and the bed, that is the word coite, it means the planting of sperm into the female from the male. It is talking about sex. The bed is undefiled, but a whoremonger, an adulterer, God will judge. See, God put a boundary around this thing called sex, and he placed that sexual act into the boundary of marriage. And he says inside that boundary, it's a sacred thing. It's something that I've created. It's something I made for your pleasure and for the propagation of the world. But he said, you take it outside that boundary, you've got sin that I have to judge. The world today says, go ahead and sin, just don't get caught. Are we awake to righteousness? What about our attitudes? What about our, our activities? What about our friends? What about our thoughts? What about our speech? What about our music? What about our entertainment? You say, well, how do I know if something is right or wrong? I mean, the Bible, sure, okay, it talks about drinking. It talks about the sexual act. It talks about some of these big things. But, but what about, you know, the little things that the Bible doesn't mention? You know, God gives us a wonderful filter for our life of all activity and all word and all action and all attitude. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, God said, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him. That's a wonderful filter. See, all unrighteousness, 1 John 5, 17 says, is sin. Well, how do we know if this is unrighteous? I mean, God's the only one who's righteous, so anything that's anti-God is sin. But how do we know if the Bible doesn't explicitly say this word is wrong or, or this thought is wrong or this kind of a friend is wrong? I mean, how do I know? Well, can I do all in the name of the Lord Jesus? Can I give thanks to God? I, I, I watched this movie. At the end of it, can I thank God I watched it? 
I said this word. Can I thank God I said it? I put this on my social media. Can I thank God for it? I enjoyed this, this activity or this entertainment. I, 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 I thought about something. Can I thank God for it? Anything outside that realm is unrighteous. And God says, we've got to awake to righteousness. Can I say this? Can I think this? Can I do this? Can I respond like this? Listen, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Awake to righteousness. But I see not only the alarm of righteousness, but I see the alarm of revival. He says, awake to righteousness and sin not. Now, now sometimes I know you hear the term revival around Heritage Baptist Church quite often. And your pastor talks about revival. I know he does because when I get around him, he talks about revival. But I think sometimes we have a misconception about revival. In that we tend to categorize or compartmentalize revival to a week of meetings. In other words, we would say we're going to have a revival at our church. We, we've got an evangelist coming. I know you had Dr. Farrell recently for a revival meeting. And that's a wonderful thing. And I thank God for churches that have such meetings. And we have a revival meeting and we place a special emphasis upon prayer and upon preaching and upon getting our hearts right. And we have this week of revival. But you know, God's concept of revival is not for a week. God, God's concept of revival is not for a service or a set of services. He says, awake to righteousness and sin not. Sometimes I think, we, we look at life sort of like this. We think, well, I, I know this is wrong, but I, I, I can ask God to forgive me later. And, and so we do the wrong knowing that it's wrong. It violates our conscience. It violates the word of God. It violates what we know in our hearts. We cannot thank God for it. And so we, we, we go in sin, but in our mind, we're thinking, I, I can get forgiveness because 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And aren't you glad for that promise? And aren't you glad there's no limit to that promise? God doesn't say you get to use this 100 times or 1,000 times. Or 10,000 times. There's no limit to using 1 John 1, 9. So sometimes we think, well, I, I, I can confess my sin. And the whole time we're confessing it, we know we're going to go do it again. And we go do it again, knowing we're going to confess it, and we confess it, knowing we're going to go do it again, and we, can, and we do it again, knowing we're going to... God says, stop that. Awake to righteousness and sin not. In other words, when God speaks to our hearts, when God cleanses our lives, when we think get things right in our life, God says, all right, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. Amen. The alarm of revival. See, if we sin willfully, after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. 
but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Oh boy, you say, must be talking to lost people. I don't think so because the verse before says, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I think that's talking to Christians. And in the very next verse, he says, if we sin willfully, that is, we know the truth, we know what's right, but we continue to live in that sin, thinking, well, I can get it forgiven, I can get it confessed. Listen, God says, I'm weary with your sacrifices of burnt offerings. We need to rend our heart and not our garments. I have 12 grandchildren, and when my oldest two were little, Katie was about four and Annie was two, and their dad was traveling in evangelism in those days, and they, they were driving through Southern California. They got in late on a, on a Friday night, and they were going to stop at our house about, about midnight. They were going to try to get a little rest before going on to their next meetings. And so they, they got in late. We were already asleep. I had gotten in late that night myself. And went to bed and, and, uh, and, and uh, about six o'clock in the morning, Katie and Annie, they were up and at them. I mean, they had slept in the truck. They had been tra traveling and sleeping while they were traveling. And so they were ready to get up at their normal time. Well, April, their mom, she got up, she got them kind of cleaned up, gave them a little bath and got them dressed for the day. And she said, now you guys play. I'm going to go back and get a little more rest. We're going to take off about 10. Well, I'd gotten up and Katie and Annie, of course, four and two, they're following me around the house, you know, and they said, Grandpa, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I said, well, I, I need to wash my car. I had been traveling, and I would gotten in, and I needed to take off that day again for another meeting as well. And I said, I'm, I'm going to wash my car. And they said, why? And I said, well, because it's dirty. Why? Well, because I've been traveling. Why? Well, because I'm an evangelist. Why? Because God called me. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Isn't it fun to be around kids? I went out to the garage, and they went out with me, and we got the bucket, and we got the brush, and we got the little nozzle for the hose, and we got some soap, and I got some towels, and they're, they're just following me around, and I, they're saying, can we help? Can we help? Can we help? I said, well, yeah, we'll see. We get outside, and I hook the water hose up and put the nozzle on there, you know, and I, I turn the water on and start filling the bucket with water and pouring the soap in there, and oh, now they were, I mean, their eyes are looking at this water, thinking, oh, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> and so I, I, I start spraying down the car, you know, and they're saying, can we help guys? I said, yeah, you guys, I want you to stand right over here on this grass, this grassy area here, and I'm going to work over here. You stand here, and, and I'm going to wash the car, and then, then, then I'm going to let you help me dry the car. I got these towels here. You can help me kind of dry it off. So you wait here. I'm going to wash the car first. So I'm spraying the car, and I'm, I, I get the brush. You know, and I'm, 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 I'm starting to work on this. Well, the driveway, cement driveway, it started, it started getting a little water on it. And, of course, that's just like a magnet to kids. And pretty soon, Katie and Annie, they'd come off that grass, and, boy, they're kind of, you know, playing in that water a little bit. And I, I saw it. I said, hey, hey, you guys, get back in that grass. Get back in the grass. Your mom's going to kill me if you get dirty. Now, you're all cleaned up. You stay right over here. And so they went, yes, sir, yes, sir, Grandpa. Yeah. And I went back to washing that car, and I'm washing it. Well, now the water's building up a little bit more. And, boy, they just couldn't resist. They got off that grass, and they started kind of stomping in that water. I said, Katie, Annie, get back in that grass. Get on that grass. Don't get off the grass. You stay over here. And I went back to washing, you know. Well, now that water, I mean, it's, it's looking like puddles. 
And boy, I turn around, here's Katie. She's walking through that water, just, just splashing. And little Annie right behind her, splashing that water. And they're singing. <laughs> and they're singing, O B E D I E N C E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with this picture? <laughs> but aren't we kind of that way? I mean, I'm glad you're here in church this morning, and I'm glad you're, you're ready for Christmas, and I'm glad you're a Christian, and you know why we celebrate the season. And, and we do all the right things. We say all the right words. We pray all the right prayers. We sing all the right songs. We preach all the right sermons. And, but we're sloshing through the world. And God says, hey, awake to righteousness and sin not. The alarm of righteousness, the alarm of revival. Why? Because thirdly, there's the alarm of redemption. He says, for some have not the knowledge of God. Why do we need to wake up? Because some are lost. Some are without Christ. Paul said, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of God, which is the image of Christ, should shine unto them. Suppose that God is sitting in this chair right here. God is a spirit. We can't see him. But for the sake of a picture this morning, suppose that God is, is sitting here in this chair. Suppose sitting directly across from God over in this chair is a lost person. We won't put anybody there, but it could be any of the 7.6 billion people on our planet this morning who do not know Christ as Savior. Now, the Bible says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. The, the gospel is not hidden to those of us that are saved. We understand it. We've accepted it. We're thankful for the gospel. And we're glad when our pastor stands and preaches the gospel. This next Saturday night and Sunday night, the gospel will be preached in this place. And what a wonderful thing it is for our gospel to go forth. So to us, it's not hidden, but it's hidden to those that are lost. Whom the God of this world. Now, who's the God of this world? Satan. He's the prince and power of the air. Whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of God, which is the image of Christ, should shine unto them. Does God want the sinner to be saved? Does God want the sinner to be reconciled to himself? Yes. 
He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Listen, dear friend, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, God wants you to be saved. He wants you to know himself as your savior. He wants you to come to know Christ. He wants you to go to heaven someday. He's not willing that you perish. He wants you to be saved today. Today is the day of salvation. So God wants the sinner to be saved. Does the devil want the sinner to be saved? No. The devil will do anything he can to keep you from getting saved. But the verse says if our gospel be hid... Well, how does Satan hide the gospel from the sinner? Is the devil powerful enough to go over and stop God from, from giving the light of the gospel? Can somehow the devil stop God from what he's doing? No. We know from 1 John 4, 4, writing to Christians, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So Satan is no match to God. Satan can't stop God from letting the light of the glorious gospel of God, which is the image of Christ, shine to the world. But what does he do? He takes a sinner, he takes a Christian with sin in their life. And he places that Christian between God and the sinner. Now, the gospel's still shining, but the sinner's not seeing it. It's being hid. It's being blocked. That's why God says, wake up. Wake up. Get out of the way. I'm trying to save the world. I'm trying to shed the light of the glorious gospel of God. And the only people I have to do that with is you. You're the epistle. You're written in their hearts. You're the one that's known and read of all men. They're not getting up this morning and reading their Bible, but they're watching you. I have no doubt that there will be people in heaven because of us. Many of you in this room have actually led somebody to Jesus Christ as their Savior. What a wonderful joy that is. To sit down with somebody and share the gospel and see them pray and ask the Lord to be their Savior. It's a wonderful privilege, and many of you have had that opportunity. But others of you have prayed for people to be saved, and you know what? That's on your account. Many of you in this room have given in an offering. And the money's used here at Heritage Baptist Church, whether it's to build a building or whether it's to print some tracks or whether it's to put on a, a musical, whatever the money is used for. Guess what? You have a part in every decision that, that is made in these buildings. When you give to missions, you have a part in every one of those missionaries' lives and ministries around the world. And when someone gets saved in Russia because of the money you gave, guess what? That goes on your account. And you will meet people in heaven that because you prayed and because you gave and because you handed a tract out, you didn't know all the results, but in heaven you will see them. There'll be people in heaven because of us. But will there be anybody in hell because of us?
blocking the gospel. Because we hit the snooze button on righteousness. We hit the snooze button about revival. As a result, the alarm of redemption goes unheeded and unheard by a lost world. And when we sleep through the alarm of righteousness and the alarm of revival and the alarm of redemption, eventually we will awaken to the alarm of regret. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. A generation without righteousness and without revival and without redemption will be a generation with regret. The psalmist said, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Will someone from San Leandro or the greater Oakland area one day stand before God and say, God, I, I would have gone to one of those musicals, but nobody ever invited me. Lord, I would have gone to that church, but my neighbor never told me about it. Lord, I would have trusted your son as my savior. I was looking for something, but no one ever shared it with me. Oh, we care about how we look and we care about our work and we care about our savings and we care about just about anything in life, but do we care about those that are lost? Some years ago, I was preaching at the Bill Rice Ranch in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. There was a youth group there from Hayesville, Ohio. Hayesville is a very small little town in Ohio, but the church there, the Maranatha Baptist Church, had 30 teenagers that came to the ranch that summer, 25 guys and five girls in their youth group. The youth pastor's name was Steve. He was the pastor's son. He was a single man and doing a great job with those teens. And Steve was staying in the cabin with the 25 boys from his church. The girls were put in with some other churches because they were a small group and they were in another cabin, of course. Pastor and his wife had also come that week of camp and they were staying in a little camping trailer that they had brought with them on the property. One morning, about 5.15, a knock came on the pastor's camper door. The pastor, awakening out of sleep, he went to the door and said, can I help you? And the voice said, you have a call at the office. There's a phone call. It's an emergency. The pastor quickly dressed. He followed the man to the camp office and took the call. After receiving the call, he went to the cabin where the boys were asleep and he woke up his son, Steve, the youth pastor, and he said, we've got to get the boys up. And they turned the lights on and began to jostle the boys, say, come on, wake up, wake up, wake up. And the boys wondering at 5.30 in the morning what's going on and they, they began to try to stretch and looking at each other with confusion and finally the pastor went over to the bunk of a boy whose name was Chris, just 15 years old. The pastor knelt down beside Chris who was trying to stretch and wipe the sleep from his eyes. He said, Chris, I, I've got some bad news. Your mom just passed away. She was 34 years old. 
She'd been sick, thought she had the flu. Turned out to be an aneurysm of her brain. That morning at 4.30, she'd passed into eternity. As Chris began to sob and bury his face in the pastor's shoulder, through his sobs, he said, Pastor, she's in hell. Because I never told her about Jesus. As I helped put Chris's luggage into that car about 45 minutes later, standing at the top of that Bill Rice Road, Ranch Road, right there outside the John Rice Auditorium, I prayed for Chris and his pastors. They were about to make that long trip home. As I watched those taillights disappear down that Bill Rice Ranch Road, I remember standing there thinking, what if that call had been for me? What if it had been my loved one, my neighbor, a friend at work? What if that call had been for me this morning? Would I be standing here saying, they're in hell? Because I missed the alarm of righteousness. I slept through the alarm of revival. I ignored the alarm of redemption, and now I live with the alarm of regret. Oh, listen, physically, we may be struggling to keep up with it all on our schedule, but listen, spiritually, we dare not sleep. Awake. The alarm is going off. Let's pray together. Father, We enter a busy season and we will probably sleep a little less during this month of December. Physically, we will run our schedules tight and we will have much on our to-do list. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would awaken us to the spiritual needs around us Lord, for some in this room, they need to awaken to that alarm of redemption and be saved today. For we're not to boast ourselves of tomorrow, for we know not what a day may bring forth. And for those who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today they'd be wonderfully saved and not wait another moment. And for those of us who are saved, may we be busy about the Father's business May it start with our own clean heart, our own desire to live right, that we might carry this wonderful message of redemption. Rather than blocking it with our life, may we be a clear, transparent conduit through which it can flow. Work in our hearts and lives, I pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning, do you know for certain that you're on your way to heaven? You know that you have this redemption from sin that we've spoken of today. Do you know today that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? Do you know that you're on your way to heaven? Friend, if you're not clear in your mind about where you'd spend eternity if life were to end today, may I encourage you in a moment when we stand to slip out of your place and come. Meet one of these men across the front and say, I want to settle this matter of my eternity. Someone near you would be happy to come with you. 
we'd be honored to show you from the Bible how to be saved. Christian, is God touching your heart this morning? In a moment, don't hesitate. Don't tarry. Don't hit the snooze button another service. Awake. Father, speak now and work and move, and may we obey in this invitation in Jesus' name. Let's stand quietly to our feet. The music is playing. If God has spoken to your heart, slip out and come as Brother A.J. begins to sing this wonderful song. You slip out and come. Don't hesitate. Don't look for the snooze button. If God's spoken, wake, wake up. Awaken to the need in your heart. The devil does not care what you do as long as you don't do it today. But God says, come now and let us reason together. Remember now thy creator. Behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart. Some need to get saved. God's ringing your alarm today. Why do you put it off? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loves you. He wants you to go to heaven. For many in the room, are you giving a gospel witness? Is the alarm of redemption, of soul winning, sounding off? Is there somebody that God's put on your mind and heart that needs to hear the gospel? I pray this morning. You'd make a decision today. Don't let your companions and your situations and your traditions and all those things get between you and God. Step out, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. Why don't we take a moment to soften our hearts?